Hey everybody, welcome to the Florida Basketball Hour. I'm Neil Blackman. Uh, today's show, we're going to recap Florida's victory over Vanderbilt Wednesday night in the Odome. And then we will uh, take some listener questions and also discuss uh, Florida's big game against Alabama tomorrow afternoon in Tuscaloosa. A uh, chance for a quadrant one win for the Gators and really a game they need to win if they want to make the NCAA tournament. Um, so uh, sit back and enjoy the show. everybody hey uh, again i am with eric fawcett gatorcountry.com we're going to talk about florida's uh ragged win over vanderbilt um i say ragged because uh really mainly because of offense uh it felt like a game that florida really very easily could have won by 20 to 25 points honestly if they had even shot their season three-point percentage but uh doesn't work out that way um some nervy moments down the stretch and kind of some odd faces that propel Florida to victory, weren't there, Eric? There were. And I mean, on a night when both of your, your best scores are just completely quiet um, for obviously Kayvon Allen has, has one field goal. Uh, Noah Locke has one field goal. Uh, those guys combined for, for nine points on what is it? Two of, you know, two of 18 shooting like that is uh, you're not going to win <laughs> that many games. And I mean uh, that way. And honestly, uh, as much as, as Vanderbilt is kind of obviously uh, the bottom of the SEC, uh, that, that game was obviously scary in the, for the Gators at a lot of points, and they, they trailed when they shouldn't have it. Uh, but like you said, when, uh, when Kayvon Allen and Noah Locke were, uh, were not playing well, they, they actually got some good minutes from Okaru, which will get um, you know, a lot of people uh, pretty happy. And, and Ballard hit a three at a pretty timely time, and uh, Stokes, though he didn't play a lot of minutes, uh, we kind of saw the flashes that, uh, that you'd like to see from him where he did get the ball down low, took, uh, took a hard dribble to the baseline and laid the ball in through contact. So uh, some of those things were good to see for sure. Yeah. Isaiah's, you know, he's skilled. Um, I think we've talked about it on the show. He obviously has an offensive skill set. Um, it's a little different, an offensive skill set because it's a traditional post. And I don't know how many times we've tried to talk on the show about the way the game's changed and, that that's something that, and you know, it's not that nobody has one. Certainly, if you watch Florida State, you see uh, Christ Kamaji is kind of a, a guy who, at least offensively, they post up back to the basket real deep. Um, there are teams that have them. Uh, there's just a little less of it in the game now, and Isaiah offers that. Um, we can get into that in a minute. Yeah, Florida f- wins four of 26, the Gators were, uh, between Hudson, Locke, and Kayvon Allen. So if you can win a game where those three players are four for 26 from the field, uh, you, honestly, I said it could have been a route. It also could have been a loss. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, who is the best player on the floor? I mean, by a large, large, large margin, it was Aaron Neesmith. <laughs> and, I mean, it's, he looked like a star out there. And uh, for Florida to not really have anyone play super well, other than, I guess, uh, you know, Keontae Johnson with another fantastic game, both uh, uh, right. on offense and kind of rebounding. Pretty good offense. He missed some shots, but anyways, um, yeah. I mean, uh, it would seem like uh, they had the way better. They had the best player on the floor by a long shot in Neesmith. and um, I really liked the way that the front court players played for Vanderbilt. Actually, um, one thing that I thought was uh, was really underrated that they did that um, we haven't seen from Florida faces all 
was like there was like three or four layups where uh, Neesmith or Saban Lee kind of got someone on their got a Florida Gator on their hip, and then um, and then Yanni Wetzel or or Matt Ryan totally sealed the help side defender, and that meant they just had a, a straight line layup to the rim, and uh, just that little kind of like subtle thing of. Uh, of a player being able to get a little bit of an advantage and the big man saying, Hey, I'm going to seal the help. So he can't come over and, and contest at the rim. Um, it lets it easy, easy buckets at Vanderbilt. And uh, just that's, those are the really, really subtle things that come with being an, an elite big man, because that's not an assist for the big man. That's not a, uh, they're not going to show that again, the highlights. You're like, Oh man, look at that seal from, from Matt Ryan to seal the help and, and get a layup. But, uh, but those are, those results in easy points for Vanderbilt. So I thought that they kind of executed uh, well, there, there too, and um, I thought Simisha too was pretty quiet for them. Uh, one of their, you know, one of their five stars, top ten guys, and uh, if he had a good game, uh, that could have that could have tilted this thing to, to dangerously close. So, uh, I would say that uh, that the Gators got a bit lucky. Yeah, I mean that'll be a big challenge in Memorial Gym on the on the return trip. To be honest, I, you know, you, there again, there's nothing you saw from, or at least nothing I saw from Florida, and I don't know about you, Eric, that that said the return trip will be an easy W for Florida. Um, you know, I think certainly Chateau can play better. Florida did a really nice job of cupping Saban Lee defensively. Um, I thought, especially Kayvon Allen, kind of limiting his offensive impact, even though uh, Eric isolated, you know, some of the nice passes that he made. And Saban Lee, I think, will benefit as a professional from this year where he lost his lottery point point guard and was forced to be the primary ball handler. But um, that's kind of the thing with Kayvon Allen, right, is he, he finds ways. Those terrible end-of-game turnovers again. Uh, but <laughs> um, still, I thought Florida did a nice job on Vanderbilt's guards, generally speaking. Um, Neesmith, they play him at the three, but it's really a three-guard rotation. Yeah, that, that Vanderbilt team, uh, I thought they have, like, uh, they have a lot of really good role players. Uh, it just makes me wonder, like, man, if they had Darius Garland, like, this team could actually be really good. Because, once again, I, I kind of like the, some of the front court players as as just role players. And, and you know, Saban Lee is, uh, he's young, but, you know, like, would, would be all right if he was next to, like, an electric Darius Garland. And, and uh, so this this season could have definitely had a really uh, a really different look for, uh, for the Commodores, but... But yeah, yeah, you know, looking at the return trip, the only thing I'd say for the Gators is uh, is Noah Locke going to go one for nine at Memorial Gym. Uh, right, I right, right. I mean, it's a tough gym to shoot in, but I don't think he'll shoot any worse than one for nine. So uh, at least there's that. It's not like Florida needed some hot shooting at home to win because then you'd say, oh, well, they're probably not going to shoot hot at, at Memorial Gym. And uh, yeah, pretty interesting. So yeah, Noah Locke, uh, got a, he's got a lower body injury that's been nagging him for, uh, for apparently uh, almost <clears throat> two months. But yeah. Uh, which I didn't know about until a couple of weeks ago. Um, and I kind of just was like, ah, whatever. Like he's still shooting five for eight from the three point line. I, I really, you know, I, I heard it, but I didn't think too much about it, but, but this was the first game that I thought Noah Locke actually looked, you know, injured because I mean, he had wide open looks that he was airballing and that's um, for a guy that's been just an excellent, excellent shooter um, that I just, you know, that makes you think something was really wrong because he was missing wide open shots uh, badly, so I hope that that doesn't mean that uh, that anything is getting worse, and maybe that was just uh, a particularly um, maybe it was just flaring up particularly bad. But uh, uh, obviously, uh, obviously, we're not used to seeing him shoot that badly. No, no. I mean, again, I mean, it was it was a two point with six minutes to go, and if you wanted to know why, it was because 
at that point, Florida's stars were two for 23. They're, they're three, you know, main, <clears throat> they're three best offensive options, I should say. Uh, we're two for 23 and, and, you know, Hudson hit a shot late. Um, Allen hit the turnaround jumper late. Uh, so <laughs> they end up making two of their last three shots from the field, both really big baskets. But I thought the key point of the game was before the Allen turnaround where, where Vanderbilt had actually gotten the stop and then Keontae Johnson reaches around and steals the uh, Wetzel pass, gets fouled and, and hits two free throws. That really was uh, that really was the game changer from the guy that's uh, that's been the most consistent Gator over the last couple of weeks, and uh, it was really good too to see him uh, uh, to see him knock down a three, to see him rebound uh, as well, and obviously come up big because uh, I mean, like you said, that was earlier. There was another really bad Kayvon Allen turnover in the clutch, and this is you know the third time that's happened. And um, yep, third SEC know, game. Third, yeah, third SEC game, not even third of the season. So. Uh, third time in the last, you know, 11, 12 games, uh, he's committed just a, a terrible turnover in the clutch. And uh, uh, it just seems like Florida needs guys who, who can kind of step up and, and execute in those times. And Keontae Johnson, the freshman, uh, he's, yeah, he's really stepped up. He, he's kind of, uh, he's played big in those times. So uh, just another uh, really good highlight for him. Yeah. And I also wanted to compliment Kavarius Hayes because it's hard to, Vanderbilt did a nice job of getting him into foul trouble. I know Doug shows is, is somebody who comes under a lot of fire, not just from Gator fans on Twitter. This is one where the hive is probably right. Like <laughs> it's never like when I see Doug shows is going to referee a game that I'm watching, whether it's Florida or not, I'm always very interested in what's going to happen. I'll just put it that way. Um, and uh I thought Vanderbilt did a nice job anyway, though, getting him into foul trouble. And Kavarius came out, I thought, and did what you'd expect him to do with two fouls and, and resumed being aggressive and picked up a third one really quickly. But when you don't play and you're cold, um, obviously, Kavarius Hayes hits big free throws at the end of the game, which I thought was, was – uh, that was great. It was great to see because um, it's easy to lose focus in those moments, especially when you're not a particularly good free throw shooter. Yeah, totally. He came through. Uh, he came through big, and also uh, very happy too. Because uh, I mean, even Jalen Hudson had some free throws that uh, that they needed. Yeah. And that's uh, yeah, that's not always the case. So uh, uh, can I? I was also just going to point out too. Um, so uh, shows was also refing uh, in, against Kentucky, where things went a little in Gainesville, where there's some obviously uh, some tough foul calls against the Gators at times, and he was also the guy who was. Uh, who is uh, refing against uh, when Florida played Mercer and uh, down the stretch put both uh, Kavarius Hayes and Keith Stone into foul trouble um, when uh, when Mercer was in town. So those are the uh, those are the times he's refed uh, ref the Gators and a few times it's been uh, it's been a little uh, uh, a little crazy and, and especially to uh, you know Mercer covered the spread there pretty late against uh, against the Gators. That's all I'm going to say. But uh, uh, yeah, at least <laughs> going back to your original point, yeah, there was uh, there was some clutch free throws uh, from guys that haven't been uh, you know haven't been excellent free throw shooters on the season. Yeah, I know Ben Hallen wasn't uh, too thrilled with with uh, Doug Shows's uh, late game calls the first time that Mississippi State played Ole Miss at, in uh, Starkville either. So, <laughs> um, as an example of another game where a lot of people felt like uh, you know maybe Quindary Weatherspoon shouldn't have picked up uh, a fourth foul. At a key moment, but um, neither here nor there. I did want to talk about Isaiah Stokes. We mentioned, you know, kind of shows what he could do offensively. It's, it's, it sounds weird to say it's unorthodox for there to be a back to the basket post 
in contemporary college basketball, but it is a little unorthodox. Um, we also saw all the bad parts of, of Isaiah Stokes, though, didn't we, Eric? The, the fact that, you know, Florida's almost forced to zone, in my opinion, when he plays. Yeah, it just totally changes the way they defend everything because uh, Florida's defense is really predicated around Kavari Hayes being your five-man, who's incredibly mobile and can, can show on screen and roll, can switch on screen and roll. Um, Stokes can't do either of those things. So it, when, uh, when you've got uh, someone like Andrew Nemhart was caught guarding a lot of ball screens with, with Isaiah Stokes, uh, you, when you're used to having Kavaris Hayes with you kind of behind you calling coverages, uh, playing coverages, and then that changes to Isaiah Stokes, that, is, uh, that makes things tough on, uh, on the guy kind of guarding the ball handler. So, um, you know, in a game that he scores eight points in nine minutes, uh, that, that, kind of, that kind of goes back to just something that, uh, that you and me have talked about, and that's that, you know, he's going to have to score eight points in nine minutes because um, he's going to give up some points on the other end. And uh, just um, – just kind of looking at, uh, at his numbers uh, for the year, the, he's gotten better of, of late on post-ups. But one thing I really liked against um, against Vanderbilt was, uh, was the way that he was a lot quicker when he got the basketball. And I think that's the thing that has really changed about kind of posting up nowadays is it can't be catch the ball on the right block, uh, crab dribble, crab dribble, crab dribble, dribble, turn around, and then make your move. It's got to be feel the defender, one move, put up a shot. And I think that's what we saw a little bit more. He didn't allow himself to get doubled or uh, where he'd have to force the ball out. Um, he just kind of felt his defender took one dribble and, and either got to that, uh, that hook shot over his left shoulder or from the right block, he went baseline one time and laid it in. And I think that's something that I, I would be sure that the coaches would be telling him is uh, you've got to make your move quicker. If you get the ball on the block, you feel where your defender's at, you make a move against it. It's uh it's got to be quicker, and if he can do that, yeah, he's going to have a, an effective little short spurt of offense like he had against Vanderbilt. Yep, um, all true. I thought, you know, what's cool about it is if you have a guy that, that has ball skills at the five, um, you know, it opens up some con- – Florida likes to run some Princeton-type concepts on offense, and um, one of them is sort of a, a little uh, – the, the five can get – kind of on the weak side and uh what, what will happen is is the they'll either do a handoff screen or florida does these high ball screens usually where uh, a Keontae johnson or a Kayvon allen can come around and if they get the ball then uh isaiah stokes can kind of roll off a screen towards the weak side or pop out and flare out and shoot and they have to trust isaiah enough to shoot there but he can also receive the ball if he decides to stay inside. Uh, and usually, because he's coming off the screen, there's some space. But he has to go quick, right, Eric? Yeah, it's just have to, you have to be quick when you have these teams that are just, uh, you know, so good, so well-disciplined defensively uh, when it comes to double teams. And that's where he got, got in trouble earlier in the season was, uh, was just taking too much time and, and getting doubled and, and either kind of throwing the ball away with a bad pass or, or getting it stripped. And by the way, that, that little flash action in the Princeton offense, if you have two pretty quality wings um, that can come off the, the high ball screen um, or the handoff, <laughs> it doesn't really matter. Uh, but like next season, I just keep thinking about next season where you can run that action with, with Scotty Lewis and Keontae Johnson. And then, you know, you get a Stokes that rolls off that screen. Um, that's, I wish I had a diagram, but it's pretty devastating stuff, actually. 
I, I am anticipating this Princeton offense that we've seen over kind of the conference season. I am actually, I'm expecting it to stay next season, which I know some people are like, oh man, this offense has, you know, hasn't looked great. So why'd they keep it? But, um, but the Princeton is kind of one of those kind of continuity uh, uh, like offenses where it is just kind of um, kind of a perpetual motion kind of uh, running offense. And that's kind of what Mike White loves. So uh, I, I do think we're going to see it again. So, so for you to be thinking forward to the personnel next year, I, I think it's wise because <laughs> I do think we'll probably see this a little bit more than the, the kind of standard four out low post motion that we started this season with and, and saw from last uh, something getters last year. Well, I hope so. I, and, and if you want to see what it looks like on video, cause I, I anticipated that, you know, as a somewhat good podcast host, I anticipated talking a little bit about this because of Isaiah Stokes. So I actually retweeted one of Mike White's uh, what they call a chin play. Uh, a Princeton offense chin play on the Florida Basketball Hour Twitter. And you can see that the, the couple different videos of Florida running it in conference play very effectively um, and kind of what the set looks like. The one I'm talking about with because the five-man the chin play clears out, right? But in the weak side flash play, um, he can stay in the block, which Stokes did uh, a couple times. And, you know, if he can – get consistent with a drop step and, and move it quick, then yeah, you're going to get instant offense. Um, but he's got to get more in shape. I know he's lost some weight, uh, but he's got, he's just got to get more in shape and, and not be a liability uh, as a rebounder. Also, I think mm. for him to play more. Yeah. The rebounding is a big one too. And when you look at uh, look at some of that size, you've got to control the defensive glass. I mean, I, I don't think anyone is anticipating um, a guy like that to be super active on the on the offensive glass just because uh, right. he's not super long and, and you probably want him uh, maybe coming back a little bit on uh, uh, defense a little more just because he doesn't have the foot speed to go chase an offensive rebound to the baseline and then and then sprint back and, and keep up with someone. But um, but yeah, he just can't get can't get abused out there. And um, uh, his his kind of rebounding percentages have not been have not been great, and um, that's something he's just uh, he's got to be a little bit better at. But um, and then the one thing with Stokes, too, uh, uh, you mentioned the ability for, for a pick and pop kind of out of that Princeton action. Um, I'm still, I still would love to see that because, I mean, uh, Isaiah Stokes was just drilling three-point shots at ING when he, was, uh, when he was in high school. And it was uh, – yeah. he loved it. He was drilling step-back threes, and it was amazing for a man of that frame <laughs> to do it. And though I don't really want to see him out here shooting step-back threes, um, I'd have to think that a universe exists where he can uh, – you know, when he can get his feet set, he can be a – you know, a 35% three point shooter. I've got to think that that would be, uh, you know, in, in his, in his kind of range of outcomes. So uh, that would be something that, um, that I would definitely like to see. Yeah. And last show with a listener question, just that, you know, they've got these two bigs that, that shoot the ball. Okay. Um, Stokes and Bassett, and it'd be good, you know, if they started to emphasize, you know, their ability to launch because it just, opens a lot of things up defensively. Was there anything else in the, uh, in the Vanderbilt game you wanted to cover before we move forward? No, I think, uh, I think we kind of got everything I was, uh, I was thinking after watching. We should, so, or, or um, should we talk o- just a really quick O'Carr? You know, you got anything on O'Carr? Cause I know we've got, uh, there's definitely some fans of his that, uh, that listen here that would, uh, that would be happy with the way he played. <laughs> well, I'll say that, um, you know, and I don't know if Eric heard the same reports, but, you know, there was the report that he had practiced really well. And so my kind of comment on it, because I did an Akaru question at the end of last week's pod after Eric left. 
And my take on it was that he doesn't offer enough offensively to justify minutes. Um, and that I felt like fair or unfair his I felt like I didn't know if the coaches felt this way, but I felt like his defense had dropped off in conference play. That was the opposite of what we saw against Vanderbilt. where I thought he was probably, because I said Florida cupped saving Lee with, with, uh, with Allen a lot, but Akaru did it when he was in the game really well, just harassed him. Yeah, no, he's, and uh, I think that probably a lot of that does have to do with, um, with the consistency of minutes and, and the fact that Mike White said he had an awesome practice did coincide with Andrew Nemhard getting in early foul trouble. So it was a mix of, you know, I think he wanted to reward Okara with minutes and then Andrew Nemhard picks up uh, two early fouls. So it kind of worked out right. to get a few more minutes. And I think that that kind of has really helped him because and I'm definitely guilty of this, but there were times that uh, where he got into games earlier in conference play where, you know, he comes in at the, you know, 14 minutes into the first half for his first minutes. And, uh, you know, and he bites on a pump fake and gets blown by. And, uh, you know, and I would be like, oh, that's, you know, that's not good enough defense. That's a lazy closeout. He can't do that. And, and you know, like, it's true. It's, it wasn't a great closeout or whatever. But, I mean, I think, you know, there's a guy like that who's, whose game is kind of predicated around defensive intensity. And he doesn't know when his next shift is ever coming, whether he's going to play or not. And I think he kind of gets into a big conference game when it's tight. And probably the energy is running a little bit high. And he probably knows he has a three-minute shift at best. And I think that when you, uh, I think you kind of play basketball differently. I would say that Neil, you probably, I, I mean, I see that when I coach my high school guys, you probably see the same um, guys that don't play a regular shift all the time. When they get in the game, they want to make something happen. And I think he probably had, uh, was probably a little bit over exuberant, which, um, which meant for some, you know, tough turnovers on offense and, and some, some just, you know, biting on pump fakes, trying to block a three point shot. Um, he, but, you know, against Vanderbilt, when he got to play a little bit more minutes and he probably kind of knew he was out there a little bit more, he kind of settled into the game a little bit and get into the rhythm of it. And it made for some better basketball. So uh, definitely good to see him uh, him playing uh, playing a good role there. Yeah, no, great, great points. Um, listener questions? Yeah. We have uh, Jared Vilmer ask a couple, uh, yeah, a two-parter, which I'm cool with. Um I'll do the first one at least and, and then pass the second one uh, <laughs> to Eric. The, and uh, one was, was this the most animated Mike White has been during a game this season? And two, was Vanderbilt just bad defensively or did Florida do something different to have success driving into the paint? So in, in terms of question one, I didn't thought that Mike was, was far more animated in the Tennessee game than this um, actually, <laughs> but uh and I, what was the game where, where Mike got the technical and probably shouldn't have done that? I don't, I don't remember. remember. I remember the technical. I don't remember that. I don't remember which game. I don't remember. Actually. Yeah, I don't know what opponent it was. But that was another game where I felt like White was, was uh, very animated. I will say that I think this season um, Coach White has been more animated and more, uh, you know, his poker face has been less than we're accustomed to. Um, and, you know, I think that this team just does that to, to people, um, especially its head coach. So uh, the second question, I guess, unless Eric wanted to get in on that one, was did Vanderbilt something uh, that allowed Florida to have success in the paint or were they just bad defensively or, you know, was Florida just better? Uh, I, I mean, that's a Vanderbilt team that kind of lacks plus athletes, I would say. 
And um, I don't think Florida is going to out-athlete a lot of teams. That's something we've kind of talked about, especially when talking about the motion principles. Um, but, yeah, Florida's not going to out-athlete a lot of teams. But seeing, you know, seeing them go against, you know, Matt Ryan and Yachty Wetzel and, and Joe Toy, uh, um, you know, Chateau's an amazing athlete, but uh, um, wasn't super effective. And, and, and Neesmith is, is kind of tall and long and um, has some of those flashes, but is still a freshman. And I just thought uh, – yeah, I just thought that Florida just kind of had to step on them in a few kind of athlete athlete matchups, and for that reason, I, I kind of thought that Florida should have been able to to score a little bit more. But um, especially on the inside, I mean, the the shooting for Florida was one thing from three from three point line, um, but I mean they didn't score well inside either. Uh, looking it up quickly, they were forty percent from the two point line, which uh, or you know within two, and that's. Uh, that's not, you know, that's not good enough. You, you've got to be a, a little bit more at the, uh, you know, the high forties, especially against a team without a lot of great rim protection. So, um, no, but I don't, I don't think I noticed anything particularly with, uh, with Vanderbilt's defense. Did you? Uh, not really. <laughs> don't have a whole lot to add to that. I mean, I think the other, the only thing I'd add, and this leads to the second listener question is that Jalen Hudson was a little better, which, uh, you know, and, and, and that kind of also speaks to Eric's point, which is that some teams that Florida has played have had people that can definitely defend Jalen Hudson um, when he's attacking, and Vanderbilt doesn't really. <laughs> That's just kind of the way I look at it. Because, I mean, they, they tried a bunch of stuff. They put Saban Lee on him. Uh, some They had Nesmith on him in the second half, and that didn't work. Uh, I actually thought that was kind of silly. Uh so, so maybe some of it is that um, Jake Mills wanted to know what's the biggest difference between Jalen Hudson this season and last season. Um, oh, that's a great, I mean, I'll tell great you question. The, yeah. Great question. Um, if I had to put it, uh, if I had to put it just most simply looking at the analytics was he took, he's taken about the same number of uh, the percentage of his shots that are guarded versus unguarded is about the same. So he's, and I know we're getting pretty deep into the analytics here, but um, he's taken about the same number of guarded jump shots as he did last year, which is a lot. Um, the thing is, he just hasn't hit them at a high rate whatsoever. And uh, when you yep. look at them last year, <laughs> he was shooting the ball at an absurd, absurd rate when guarded. He was shooting something like 46% from the three-point line when guarded. And that's just um, like that's just ridiculous. That just doesn't happen. And I think he came down to earth in a lot of ways. And uh, you, when you look at the average shooter in college basketball, a lot of times, uh, you know, they'll be shooting in the high 30s. Uh, when unguarded and then when guarded they shoot 30 percent and then you know because of that it bounces out so you know they're at 35 36 percent free throw sh- or three-point shooter um for jalen hudson last year it was he was shooting you know like good when he was uh open when he was wide open he was shooting something like 36 percent when he was open but he was shooting like 46 percent when guarded and that made for the fact that he was a 40 percent three-point shooter on a lot of tough shots uh but yeah the thing is um you know basketball history has shown that that's not a very uh uh, that's a that's a style of basketball that isn't very sustainable. There's uh, there's a you know there's not many guys that can you know keep shooting the ball at that high of a rate when guarded, and uh, that just came down to earth. And when you see uh, when you see this season, um, he's shooting something like thirteen percent on his guarded jump shots. Um, yeah, so that's not very good. And when and when over <laughs> half of your shots are closely guarded, that just means uh, you know that's why he's shooting twenty one point eight percent from three on the season. Um, the yeah, shots I don't, are, I don't the think shots. Don't, sorry, I don't. Uh, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. I was just saying, I don't think he likes those. I don't think he likes the guarded shots as much as, say, DeAndre Ballard, who appears to uh, 
only like to make guarded shots. Right. Um, <laughs> and and there's, de- there's definitely limitations to Jalen Hudson's game. He's, he's never been great at finishing at the hoop, which is too bad for someone who against Vanderbilt got to the hoop really well. Um, but he didn't shoot great at the hoop last year. Um, he's not great in transition. He wasn't last year. So really his success last year was about drilling jump shots that a lot of them were tough. And when those numbers came down to earth, suddenly he's a guy that isn't great at finishing at the rim and, um, you know, hasn't been a great uh, three-point shooter. So uh, I would say that it was more amazing luck last season and some bad luck this season. I like it. Uh, The third question is um, from Sarah in Tampa via email. And I'm glad that that Sarah's hitting us up with more questions because they're usually awesome. Uh, she said, I know about Dudley Blackwell because Neil really wants him to go to Florida. True. Um, <laughs> does, <laughs> little update on recruiting for, for 2021, 2020. You just cut out there for a sec. Do you say like, like favorite guys in, in 2020 or just got, yeah, just who's Florida. I think it's just, oh, a, okay. you know, Florida, who's, who's, what's Florida focusing on? You know, do we know yet? Oh, okay. I mean, I would say definitely P.J. Hall in the front court, a player that we talked about after uh, he was there for – was that Kentucky weekend? Is that when we had those guys coming in? But I yeah. Forget, but, yeah. But, yeah. But, yeah, I would say, I would say um, uh, yeah, P.J. Hall definitely seems to be uh, seems to be a focus. And um, I know this is not going to make a lot of people happy, but it doesn't seem like, like the Gators have just um, went out and offered a ton of, of front court guys or, or have a ton of front, front court guys they're really in on. And I know some people just – you know, every time they see Florida offer someone who's not a front court player, they're like, "Why? Where, where are the bigs?" And it won't make them happy to hear that there's not a lot of front court guys that they've um, that they've offered. But um, I would say that PJ Hall has definitely been made a priority, and hopefully that means that uh, that he's a guy that they're that they kind of are, are comfortable that they can get. Um, someone I someone I really like that they offered who's not um, super highly rated. So I, I'll just say this because I think it's you know potentially more interesting um, is a guy named yeah. Key. Uh, he's kind of in like the 200 range. He's a three-star. Um, he's from Long Island, but, uh, and a guy that's uh, a guy that I, uh, I interviewed um, maybe last summer for, for Gator country um, and a really interesting guy, but he's another guy that can, um, he can really score on the low block. And that's really what he does is he's, he is like a post-up player. But if you look at him, you never think that because he's long, he's thin. Um, he has the builds of uh, you know, of a guy that's like a perimeter lockdown guy. Uh, but he kind of has the, but offensively, he's a guy who can, who can really score on the inside and just has like incredible footwork. And um, as a three-star guy, he's someone that I kind of really hope the Gators get just as someone who's going to be a four-year player and someone who I think um, could, could kind of help out instantly because he's got decent physical tools and um, a unique uh, skill set with his footwork down low. Um, but also a guy that as he, as he develops through Florida system, I think could just be one of those guys that is just uh an excellent four-year kind of player that is awesome in his third and fourth years. So, so I'll say Zed Key is a guy that's kind of under the radar um, that I really like. I like it. I think that's a good shout. Uh, the other one I think that they're trying to get on campus is Zach Loveday. It's a uh, seven-footer um, who just transferred to Huntington Prep. Uh, and he's visited West Virginia and um, apparently will be at Louisville this weekend, uh, Ohio State is another school that that's in on him. So his offers are, you know, they're very good. I mean, those are all <laughs> very good basketball programs. Um, but it's not like, like his offer list looks like sort of similar to Dudley Blackwell's. It's not like, you know, he's not a Duke UNC 
Kentucky. Those aren't his offers. Um, and you know, I, I, I'm not sure what he really profiles at. Like I've looked for some film on him and I think the biggest thing with him is I want to see what happens when he goes to hunting prep because he's going to play against, he's going to play against guys who are, who are bigger. Um, and apparently, you know, where he's at now, it's just kind of unfair because he's seven foot tall and can handle the ball a little. <laughs> well, I mean, those are, uh, once again, I mean, I, I think when people have looked at Florida's recruiting as of late, they've really been interested in like, you know, who are these, when you bring in a class like Scotty Lewis and Omar Payne and, and, and Trey Mann, I, people are kind of definitely looking at the Gators as kind of these big game hunters. But like, uh, I think Florida needs some of these guys that are going to stay in the program for, for four years. And uh, especially in the front court, um, and uh, especially considering, I'm not sure if we're going to keep all the guys that are currently in our front court for four years. So, um, so yeah, you know, a guy like Zach right. Love Day, who's maybe a little bit raw, um, you know, seven foot. I, I think the Florida should have a space for a guy like that, just uh, that uh, you can maybe maybe even red shirt or or kind of take uh, take slow into the program. So, so I'm okay with that. And then um, one last guy I'll say, just uh, as another, just kind of very personal. Um, you know, my own bias is, is Matthew Alexander Boncrief, who's a Canadian who plays at uh, Orangeville Prep. And I say he's like a little bit under the radar because um, like ESPN has him as a three star. Some of the other rivals has him as a three star. Um, 24-7 has him as, a, as the 40th ranked kid in the class. So there's quite a range of, yeah. uh, of, uh, of who he is just because, um, and I think it's just because he, he does play in Canada. But you see his offer list too. It's like, you know, Georgetown, Seton Hall, Tulane, and, and then Florida. And, uh, but I mean, he's six foot seven and long and, and that's something that's uh, really athletic and, uh, and kind of has a smoothness to his game. And I think that Florida, um, really needs wings. Um, just, uh, the guys that they have on campus right now that are wings are just, uh, aren't getting it done. And, and I think that, uh, you, you see a team like when we played, uh, when we played TCU and to see TCU that just had so many six foot five, six foot six, six, seven guys that, um, that could play the two, three or four and, um, you know, you, that I think that's a team Mike White would love to coach and would love to uh, to, to run a Princeton offense with them, where uh, where guys are just passing, cutting off each other, and and to be able to play switching offense or switching defenses like that, and and to be able to play the one two two pressure he likes. Um, I think it's got to look a lot like uh, like TCU did with a lot of wings. So so though I'm definitely interested in how Florida's front court's going to get better. Uh, I'm definitely interested in what wings they can get to. Yeah, no, I like it. Uh, I think that's a good shout, and I you know I think that's a, that. Moncrief is a guy I think that, that Florida has a really good chance to land because um, they've been after him a while. Um, and, and I think those relationships matter. Uh, so we're going to move on to Alabama uh, right now. Eric and I were talking about this off air, but a chance for a quadrant one win for Florida uh, probably <laughs> could be like a really high quad two win. Um but certainly, I think a game that if Florida wants to make the NCAA tournament, and they do, uh, if Florida wins this game, uh, gets you closer to the NCAA tournament. If they lose it, it becomes really difficult to make the NCAA tournament. So, um, you know, I think one of the biggest games Florida has remaining is is tomorrow afternoon in Tuscaloosa. I mean, I think just like you said, this might end up being a quadrant two game, and if it's a, if it is a quadrant two game and Florida loses. That's that. That could be all she wrote. Um, right. So, and I mean, it would also be such Florida luck for the season for them to uh, have Alabama drop out to just being a quadrant two and not a quadrant one, and have Florida beat them. That would be very much Florida luck. But, uh, but yeah, there's a good opportunity that it doesn't end up being quadrant two, and for that reason, Florida just can't afford a quadrant two uh, 
quadrant two loss right now. So um, I, I will say this. Uh, I, I mean, every game going forward is, is um, I would say of utmost importance other than like, you know, you could maybe say when they play Kentucky, that's a scheduled loss. So therefore not as important. Right. Um, but yeah, right. so, but with every game, with the caveat of like, hey, every game is important right now for a team on the outside of the bubble looking in. Um, yeah. They just, they can't afford to lose this one. So, uh, and this is a, this is an Alabama team that I find um, very different than what I expected. Uh, mostly because. Yeah. Let's talk about that. Cause you, you liked, you liked this Alabama team before the season, but maybe not for the reasons that, <laughs> that they are where they are now. No, absolutely not. I mean, I thought this team, uh, you, you kind of look at this team that was uh, that last year was was twentieth in defense. The year prior was tenth in defense, and uh, for, you know from last year's team that was uh, from last year's team that was twentieth in defense. They were uh, they're returning a lot of the guys, you know, returning Ingram and Petty and Dante Hall, and um, though they did lose, uh, you know, Braxton Key was a good defender. Um, uh, but they've been they've been really bad defensively this year. Um, so that's uh, kind of my perception of Alabama basketball. And anyone who's listened to this, probably their perception of Alabama basketball from the last few years has been that, um, you know, this is a team that struggles on offense, but it's really good defensively and tough. Um, but that's really not uh, – that hasn't been the case. They've actually been pretty good offensively and good enough offensively to, to win games, but they've been really poor defensively, which uh, – so that's the exact opposite of what I said, um, the exact opposite of what me and Neil <laughs> talked about. Um, I thought this was going to be a team that um, – well, I mean, I did think they'd be better offensively just because they do return a lot of the guys from last year. And I thought that uh, I really liked Con Sexton, but, you know, it was probably a bit of a ball stopper at times. So I thought, hey, you get all these guys back and um, they're going to be pretty good offense, at least better offensively. And uh, Kyra Lewis, a freshman, has just been incredible. I really, really like his game. Um, but, yeah, they really struggled to, uh, to defend. And um, one thing I really noticed, uh, their biggest kind of problem defensively, at least by the numbers that I'm getting from Synergy and from what I watched a little bit is uh, they're really bad in transition defense. And that's where they've really gotten burned by a lot of teams. And part of it is because they go really hard after the offensive glass and send lots of guys um, uh, to the offensive glass. But um, that's one thing that I'm a little bit concerned about from the Florida kind of uh, standpoint is that, um, you know, Alabama is not good defensively, but a lot of it has been in, in, they haven't been good in transition defense. And I'm not totally sure Florida is going to be able to, um, uh, you know, that's not a place that Florida is going to exploit a team very often. So if this turns into a half-court game, um, the biggest flaw of, of Alabama's defense um, won't be exploited. Yeah, I would say uh, a lot. You know, I'm going to echo a lot of that. Uh, they, they don't turn people over very well um, either. Uh, they're 343rd in the country in, in turning people over. That's not very good. Um, and they – you know that they they've struggled at the point guard position again uh so you know they they rebound really well but they turn the ball over and they don't turn the other team over and when they've struggled that's been the problem when they when they've limited turnovers uh yeah i mean they have two pretty good wins they beat miss state and uh, obviously they beat kentucky uh so they have they have two really nice victories in, in my opinion um, they've only lost twice at home. So Kim Palm, I saw, had their home court advantage at like 15th nationally. That's really high. Um, but <laughs> their home losses are weird, aren't they? Uh, yeah, definitely. Georgia, Georgia State. Georgia State and Texas A&M. Okay? <laughs> yeah. I mean, so uh, figure that out. 
Well, yeah, man. I mean, uh, they only lost to Tennessee by three on the road and lost uh, to Baylor by five on the road. And I mean, um, if you beat, they, they played really well in that Baylor game, by the way. They did totally, and that was not one that I, I, you know, I kind of thought in a matchup that was kind of similar. I thought Baylor at home would be a kind of a comfortable win, and, and obviously for them to play Tennessee tough um, and almost beat them on the road, like that's that would have been crazy. So, um, and again, I think it's because they have been able to uh, to score a little bit, but uh, they just haven't been able to get the stops that they needed, and um, that's kind of maybe evidenced in in a in a matchup with uh, with Auburn that they kind of struggled with. It just seemed like. Uh, it just seemed like Auburn was getting them in transition over and over again. And then uh, because Auburn was scoring, um, Alabama couldn't kind of get out. And it turned into a, it turned into a game that kind of benefited Auburn's pace. So uh, I, I'm interested to see just if this game is kind of played in the, in the sixties as a little bit of a grind or, or if it gets up a little bit higher, but I actually think if the score stays, stays low, you know, that's uh, that's what benefits the Gators is the team that's uh, that's better defensively. Yep. Um, John Petty is a guy who shoots really well at home and sometimes not as well away. His splits last year were absurd on that front. <laughs> They're a little more balanced this season. Uh, looking at it on on uh, the breakdown that, that I have, at least, is, is just looking at the shot percentages on ESPN. So um, it looks a little bit better, but, um, you know, still certainly will, will be a guy who sees the ball at the rim better at home, uh, which a lot of players mm-hmm. do. Their best players are uh, Dante Hall and John Petty. I know a lot of people thought that Tevin Mack was going to be really helpful to them. Uh, Mack takes a lot of shots. I mean, like 28.7% of Alabama's shots when he's on the floor. That's pretty high. Um, He doesn't make a lot of shots. Uh, So volume shooter. Um, You know, Florida – has done okay against Dante Hall except for the game in Gainesville where they had their doors blown off. Um, <laughs> historically, uh, you know, Kavarius Hayes is actually, I think, a pretty decent defensive matchup for him. What do you think? Yeah, that's a, that's a matchup that, uh, you know, like, I think he played really well against the Gators, but that, that seemed to be, um, he seemed to be the beneficiary of, uh, and I mean, Florida could really use a guy like this, but he was just someone who, you know, Colin Sexton was getting into the paint and, Dante Hall was perfectly positioned for a drop-off pass and laying it in. And there's definitely a skill that's right. actually inherent in that. I, I don't say that to be, um, you know, I, I do think it was actually impressive because uh, there's, a, there's a skill and, again, sealing the help side, getting, a, getting the ball, at, uh, getting in a position the guard can get it to you, at, get, making an angle and um, finishing through some contact. And Florida could really use a guy like that. Um, but, but, again, he's not a guy that's going to, um, you know, on, uh, as a pick-and-roll threat, as a, as a role man, or it's not like you uh, – you know, if he wants to post up five or six times, I'd say Florida's going to be pretty happy with that. So um, I really like uh, Dante Hall. And as a, you know, as you're, uh, he's a good, he's a great center in, in modern basketball, just as a, you know, a hard kind of rebounding rim runner screen setter. Um, but yeah, that doesn't concern me as much. Um, and uh, I think, again, we are just, you know, talking about recruiting uh, kind of wings. What's uh, what that's like. Uh, that's kind of the strength of the Alabama team, just that you have, you know, six foot five John Petty and six foot five Dazon Ingram and, and six foot seven Herb Jones and, and Max kind of in that size and, and Riley Norris as well. And um, they're pr- kind of have three guys on the floor at all times that are in that, you know, six foot six mold. And, and that um, should, should equate to being really good defensively. It always hasn't, hasn't always for them. Um, but I'm also a little bit concerned for Florida, just in the sense that uh, they do get out the offensive glass. I think they'll be able to rebound over, um, you know, rebound over uh, some of Florida's guards. And uh, 
uh, also just kind of finish inside against Florida's guards. And, and I would say that's uh, just kind of that size is a little bit concerning for me. And then the other thing that would concern me just that, uh, that Kyra, Kyra Lewis can be really, uh, really electric as a, as kind of an isolation score. And Florida's had some, uh, some challenges at times, just keeping the other team's best guard out of the paint. And that, that could be a problem. Yeah. Kyra Lewis is a guy that's really interesting in this game. And I almost think that the game kind of hinges on him. Um, even more than how John Petty shoots. Because John Petty, interestingly, last year was so much better shooting the ball at home than away. But at home against Florida, he was one for eight and had three points. <laughs> so it was a, like, you know, classic uh, trend-breaking game. Um, I, I don't think that, you know, as long as Florida doesn't try to know a lock John Petty, I, I think they're in pretty good shape. And I kind of trust Mike White enough not to do that. Um, Lewis is interesting because Florida has turned over point guards sometimes in a lot of games. And then they've had the games like Auburn where, you know, Saban Lee, several turnovers the other night. Then they have the games like Auburn where, where they, you know, uh, get, get crushed by opposing guards or Ole Miss where they can't contain straight line drivers. So, uh, I think Florida just needs to be very active with Kira Lewis and, and force him to make decisions um, rather than just let him not think and put his head down and get in the paint. Right, and, and you, you mentioned something about just straight-line drivers. I think that those are the guards that, uh, that Florida has had a bit more problems with, guys that are just um, yeah, that are just kind of make one move and uh, straight-line drivers. Tomorrow ball to right, right, totally. <laughs> and um, where I think that, that Kyra Lewis is probably a little bit more of a dancer, just someone who could kind of uh, – he's trying to kind of create space left and right. And Florida has had a little bit better, uh, better luck with that. Um, yeah, it's the guys that are strong with the basketball that can go in, in straight lines that have really given them problems. And, and Lewis could do that to some extent. But uh, I think, like you said, the game really hinges on him because if Florida can't contain him, um, that's when Dante Hall comes into play because he's going to be there for offensive rebounds when when uh, Kavari Sace has to come help to contest a shot or when he steps up and help, Dante Hall gets a drop-off pass. Uh, that's where some of those guards that are really good at cutting off the ball, like uh, like even Riley Norris, just kind of a veteran player who knows to cut off the ball, and and Ingram as well, and Petty, uh, really good cutters off the ball. And um, uh, I think that uh, it kind of all starts with containing Lewis. And that's, uh, you know, you could say that in a whole lot of games. And basketball really does start with containing the, right. containing the other team's uh, primary scorer, who if you can keep them uh, out of the paint, they've got to actually kind of, you know, run more offense and, and do things that way. And um, if, uh, if a guy can break you down off the dribble, it's, it's tough to defend. So I would definitely say the game kind of um, swings at that matchup from uh, uh, kind of from an Alabama standpoint. Um, but who do you think from a Florida standpoint, do you think this game really uh, this hinges on? Well, I mean, I just think to beat Alabama, you have to do a good job against Dante Hall. I really do. Um, you know, I, I still think it's a Hall and Petty team. Um, you know, because because I just think history says Lewis will have some nice moments and he'll have some moments where, you know, he, he turns the ball over at a high rate. I mean, I looked at the at Kim Palm here and it looks like in all but one game against uh, against top 50 Kim Palm team. He's had three or four turnovers. Hmm. Um, so so Lewis is going to turn the ball over some. He's also probably going to make some dazzling plays. I mean, the main thing for me is. You know, if John Petty has 30 like he did against Tennessee, Florida's in a lot of trouble. If John Paul, if Don, John Petty has 20 like he did in their win against Miss State, Florida's probably in a lot of trouble. So you got to keep him in the teens. And then um, Florida has to keep Kavarius Hayes on the floor because you don't want Isaiah Stokes playing 
large numbers of minutes uh, against Dante Hall. He's just too clever and too good at finding space, isn't he? He is, and uh, that also brings up an interesting point, too, just to see how uh, Isaiah Stokes, after having one of his better offensive games against Vanderbilt, what he'll be able to do when he gets in the game against uh, against Alabama because, I mean, uh, uh, Dante Hall's a big physical guy, and he's uh, – it's not he's not going to be uh, uh, superimposed by by Stokes, so it'll be interesting to see how Stokes can uh, can handle things. And and once again, when Stokes is in the game, I can almost certainly guarantee you that uh, Dante Hall's you know suddenly they're going to go to Dante Hall setting screens on the ball, and they're going to make Isaiah Stokes guard guard pick and roll, and that's what every team is going to do. And if I was a Division One coach in the SEC, um, that's what I would do. I'd, I'd make him guard and screen and roll. So. Uh, how how they kind of defend that? That's gonna be uh, that's gonna be big because that's what's uh, is either gonna keep Isaiah Stokes on the floor or uh, or keep him on the bench. Two other guys I want to mention just real quick since it's such an important game, and then then we'll uh, we'll probably call it a show after we get Eric's thoughts on him. But they've got a guy named Dazon Ingram who doesn't play a ton, but uh, he can really shoot it from deep. We've seen Florida have these games on the road. Um, sometimes where somebody gets hot out there and, and Eric's talked about it. Like you just see one go in, even if it's really well guarded and all of a sudden the guys hit three in a row and Mike White's calling timeout. Right. So, uh, you know, I think that's how Florida lost the Miss state game basically is just those two or three plays. Florida was in the game at Tennessee. That happens. Stays on Ingram shoots 48% from three point range. So he's a guy you might want to guard out there, um, and be careful with. And then uh, Herbert Jones is kind of another X factor, one of their other guards, because um, uh, Herbert turns the ball over a lot. Yeah, <laughs> he does. But he's another. He's another. Like Herb Jones is a guy that uh, if forward. Anyone, I just called him a guard. <laughs> yeah. Well, if anyone is really into the NBA draft, um, you actually hear a lot of the draft people that like really like Herbert Jones, and it's not like he's been a a super productive uh, college player, but he's got the tools. He's got the look. He's got the athleticism and. Uh, once again, this is going to be a game that, that Florida is definitely out-athleted in and out-length in and, uh, and out-sized in. And uh, for that reason, um, you know, if he's a, Herb Jones is a guy that I'd be uh, pretty concerned about just because uh, he could go out and, and he's a tough matchup for, for a Noah Locke at 6'2 or, or a, you know, Kayvon yep. Allen. That's, uh, that's a tough matchup for them. And, um, yep, he, and, he, and he, does, he does turn it over, but, you know, he's, he's really kind of a very active player defensively. Um, because he's so athletic. You see your draft express compares him to PJ Tucker, who I think he's more athletic than. So I'm not really sure about that, but <laughs> similar, similar role, uh, different ways of uh, accomplishing. Yeah. I was like, all right, uh, Very different body types. Seems like, <laughs> I was like, all right, I guess, uh, you know, I'm maybe draft express hasn't seen Grant Williams play. Right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> that would be my, my PJ Tucker comparison would be Grant Williams. Um, yeah, I, I just, I, you know, I don't know. I, it, it's there's some touch, tough matchups in this game for Florida, but then there's the the comfort of analytics, right? Where <laughs> kind of the things that this is one of the few games that Florida's had in a couple of weeks where it seems like Florida's weaknesses are kind of offset by Alabama's weaknesses, right? Hey, and this is uh, this is another game that I'm interested because. You know, don't look now, but Florida has now out-rebounded their opponents in the last two games, including Tennessee, which was crazy. And uh, Alabama needs second-chance opportunities, and they need to get on the offensive glass. Uh, that's what they do. And if Florida can control the glass like they have these last two games, 
uh, that'll be really big. Just uh, and like I said too, Alabama struggles to uh, to kind of guard in transition. So if Florida can get rebounds and and kind of score before the defense gets set. That'll be big, and if Florida kind of gets pounded on the glass like they have in some other SEC matchups, that'll that'll be pretty tough to overcome. Just because you know offensive rebounds are extra possessions, and they're possessions that uh, the other team gets that you don't. And some you know you look at some of those games Florida lost where they were out rebounded by by twelve, and it was that meant that the other team got ten more field goal attempts that they did. And even if yeah. a team's really uh, if a team gets ten more shots at the rim than you do, even if they shoot thirty percent, that's you know six points or nine points. So. Uh, that's big. So that'll be a, that'll be something to watch too. Yep. So we don't usually do predictions on the show. I'll tell you guys that that Kim Palm has it a two point Crimson Tide victory, uh, based on their analysis. Um, so uh, you know, it'll be another one of those games. It goes right down to the wire. It really should. And and again, Florida. You know, when Florida defends and keeps the possession total low, that means that there's going to be close games. That's just. Uh, that's the way it is. So uh, we know Florida hasn't been able to to win a lot of those close games, but they've uh, kept a lot of games close. And, and on the road, uh, you know, you hope that you uh, that the other team kind of, when the games get tight, that they kind of feel the stress a lot more than the road team does. And if Florida can do that, and Andrew Nemhart can make a play down the stretch, and Kayvon Allen doesn't turn it over in the clutch like he uh, has done the last uh, few games, uh, yeah, this could be a, this could be a win the Gators uh, desperately needs and uh, a loss they really really need to avoid. There it is. Uh, Thanks, everybody, for the listener questions again, and we will uh, look forward to talking to you next week. All right. I appreciate your time, man. That was a good one. Got a little recruiting talk. Yeah, that was a good show, and, like, it's been a while since we – I don't know if it was, like, we were defeated or the matchups were terrible, but we kind of went from, like – after Kentucky, we didn't do a deep dive into an opponent like we did here, so that was good. Yeah, well, um, I mean, I, I didn't listen to the show the other day when you did when you did Vanderbilt, but I mean, I don't just don't think there's much as much there for for Vanderbilt as there was for uh, yeah for Alabama. No, there wasn't, and and I mean, we we talked about. I think some of it is opponents here, right? Exactly, like you just said, like with Auburn, like they kind of are what they are, right? <laughs> really good guards, they shoot a ton of threes and. Okeke and, and Wiley have given them something different. But quite honestly, like, I put Wiley in the Herb Jones category where I would not be at all surprised if he were a really effective pro for a decade. Yes. <laughs> and you kind of and you kind of look back at his college career and we're like, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that'll be Herb Jones for sure because, yeah, the, the, all the draft people just love him. And, and I see it for sure. But, uh, yeah, there's a lot of guys that are in that mold of guys that are just better prospects than players at the college level. Yeah, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what Grant Williams does because I, I kind of like the idea that he's PJ Tuckerish. Um, they gotta, you know, he'll have to shoot a little better um, to kind of match that. But I don't know if PJ Tucker was bombing threes like his first year in the NBA either. Right. Yeah, once um, he kind of sets his mind to it, I'm sure Grant Williams will be able to at least be kind of good enough there. Yeah. So we'll see. I, I think Grant Williams is going to go to the NBA, but. Um. I just feel like if he comes back, uh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe he will. Maybe he'll come back and want to play with Josiah, right? But I don't know. It, it, it'll, I think it'll be hard on him without Schofield and Fulkerson and the other bigs that they have. Yeah, I, I just kind of resigned that I thought he'd go, and I don't know if if, I, if I'm him too. Like, 
weak draft. He's going to be like the SEC player of the year twice in a row, and he'll probably get drafted. He's going to be a first round. Yeah. Like somebody's going to draft him at the end of the first round or the beginning of the second round. So. Yeah, and I just think next year's draft is stronger, so I think that he might go from being the 22nd (laughs) pick to being the 32nd pick, and I mean that's guaranteed money versus not guaranteed money. So. Um, right, right. I just, I just think, I mean, you got to strike while the iron's hot. So I, I would be pretty shocked if he came back. And, uh, but you know, never, <laughs> never, I guess. Yeah, no. And if they make the final four, I mean, it's yet another reason. Like, what is there for him to prove? Right. Uh, you know, because a lot of times guys will come back because maybe there's something they want to do. Um, you know, I know Pat Young was always on every second round draft board basically until he didn't come back until he did come back his senior season. And that was like the first year that he wasn't on a draft board was when he came back for his senior year, but he wanted to go to a final four. No, he's not even remotely as good as Grant Williams, but you get the point I'm making. Well, I, and I mean, that's the thing is I, I don't think he's going to make his draft stock any better by staying, but he could certainly make it worse. Just like, so yeah, if I was, if I was him, I, I, w- I would certainly be going. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Exactly. I don't, I don't know if I'd want to play if I had his, limitations just physically and size wise. I don't know how to want to play a whole year without Admiral Schofield. <laughs> right. Oh, <laughs> and put yeah. them all on film. Um, but Hey, you know, <clears throat> well, all right. I appreciate your time and, and uh, I'll probably shoot you some text messages during the two hour exercise and frustration Saturday. Oh, I hope so. I look forward to it. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Eric. Thanks man. Bye-bye. Okay, bye now.